you know, can a silicon being have a soul, something like this, or can can AI have a soul? And um, the answer I would say is absolutely yes, because you know the the Christian story says like humans are created from dust, and then there was breathed into us the breath of God, right? So so our our soul, our spirituality somehow um, lives in carbon-based life. But if it can live in carbon-based life, it can live in silicon-based life and everything else, right? There, there's no fundamental reason why it has to be one form versus the other. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Parton, and you're listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio, where we keep you up to date on the latest technological trends and how they're impacting the transformation of consciousness and culture. This week, my guest is Micah Redding, who is the founder and executive director of the Christian Transhumanist Association, an organization that believes that science and technology can be used to alter the human condition in a way that actually empowers the beliefs of Christianity. In this episode, my goal, especially as an agnostic, is simply to gain an understanding of how Micah and other Christian transhumanists see the world. This takes us on a journey from the foundations of their belief system to an exploration of concepts such as brain uploads, living in a simulation, and the possibility that Jesus was simply an avatar in the simulation that was programmed by his father, God. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop, Micah Redding. Let's start there if you're good with it. Like what got you into this, into transhumanism? What put you on this path? Yeah. So I guess for me, um, it, it starts, um, it starts with religion. It starts with Christianity. I, um, grew up as a preacher's kid in the churches of Christ, which is, um, typically it's kind of a, a small conservative, most people would say fundamentalist, um, Christian group. And, um, so there are some positives and negatives with that. And, um, and one of the one of the uh, positives, I think, was that they really placed a lot of emphasis on studying for yourself and making faith your own. And so I took that seriously, maybe more seriously than my uh, Sunday school teachers expected. And uh, and so I, you know, I, I really believed I needed to not only study uh, all of of the Bible, Scripture for myself, um, but also you know theology, philosophy, science, history, you know all, all these sorts of things, and um, and and actually my kind of religious um, uh, growth was the same as my uh, kind of movement into transhumanism. So as I started to kind of explore the larger. Uh, kind of older uh, parts of the Christian faith through people like C.S. Lewis, N.T. Wright, G.K. Chesterton, uh, these Catholic and Orthodox and Anglican writers. I got more in touch with Christian tradition. What I realized is, oh, it, it places a huge emphasis on um, the body mm. and the resurrection and transformation of the body. And uh, and from there, the, the resurrection and, and transformation of the entire cosmos, ultimately, the material order, this was actually core to Christianity as it had been understood for, you know, 2000 years. And at the same time, I was starting to encounter back in the 90s, these transhumanist communities in the early web and realized, oh, they're doing 
they're thinking along the same lines that that I am. They're following the same trains of thought that I am. But for me, it's in the guise of Christianity, and for them, it's in the guise of something that feels very secular. And, and you know, and so that's how I became a transhumanist is through my kind of religious um, uh, sort of growth and maybe awakening uh, as I studied the Christian tradition more uh, more deeply. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I definitely think there are a lot of philosophical similarities that you have to wrestle with. Uh, You know, transhumanism forces you to think a lot about, you know, what is the meaning of life? What is the human condition in the same way Christianity might do that? But in in your mind, what are some of the ways that Christian transhumanism specifically might differ Mm -hmm. from what people think of as traditional transhumanism? Why aren't you just a transhumanist? Why are you a Christian transhumanist? Yeah, so there's a couple of different reasons. One is I think there actually is a strong value to being able to connect with um, a longer history. And mm-hmm. um, so as as I've explored this, I've realized, oh, transhumanism isn't just a movement that started, you know, in the 80s or 90s or even the 50s. It actually goes back even farther. And um, you have people like Francis Bacon in the 1600s who are very explicitly looking for things like life extension through their understanding of what the Christian faith means. And you go back farther to people like Gregory of Nyssa in the 300s and and St. Macrina and Irenaeus in the 200s. And these people are talking about how, how what the science of actual physical immortality is going to be. And so they... Um, this is how you know this has been a discussion that's been going on for a very long time i think it's very valuable for us to connect to that and to realize um where that that comes from the other thing is is the ethics of it i think in in um within transhumanism broadly there's just a number of different ethical ideas that are being put forward and um some of those i would agree with some of them i would disagree with um so christian transhumanism is specifically an ethic that's based on um christ it's just based on discipleship of christ imitation of christ that's that's where our ethic comes from and that has a lot of consequences in terms of what we think um, the the you know kind of greatest priorities and values are, and particularly we um, think that means relational values such as trust, cooperation, compassion, things like that. And and why don't you think these are antithetical notions? Because and I, I'm sure you get this all the time, but everyone's gonna make transhumanism secular and look at Christianity mm-hmm. and think it's sacred, and they're gonna think science and religion these things do not mix. Mm-hmm. Why, why in your mind is that not the case? Why, why do they merge in a way that is acceptable to you? Yeah. So one of the, um, one of the things I heard a lot when I first encountered um, transhumanist communities online is there was a lot of discussion of religion and there were a lot of people who had had experiences in Christian churches and left them behind because they were um, basically advocating escapism hating science, hating the material world, hate, you know, hating our bodies, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so they said, you know, this is, um, you know, this is really terrible. <laughs> I need to leave this behind. And I, and I would say rightly so. Um, and, um, but what I, what I kind of perceived a lot of them were doing was where they were trying to leave those kind of escapist fundamentalist types of Christianity behind, but we're trying to hold on to some of the visions of transformation and transcendence and immortality, these kinds of things, right? And um, 
And, you know, what I had realized through my own study is that I'd had those same experiences too. I encountered escapist, fundamentalist, anti-science Christianity, people who thought that was the Christian faith. And I'd realized it wasn't at all. It wasn't really the historic Christian faith that is, as it had been understood across history. Um, and so Christianity actually at its root is very focused on the future, very focused on the transformation of the material world, very focused on empowering people to transform the world around them. And you can see um, this just in one of the simplest ways. Um, there's, there's something called the Lord's Prayer. It's what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Millions of Christians pray this every Sunday. Um, and it, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is kind of the mission statement of that Jesus gives to his disciples. They're supposed to pray this, that God is going to work through them to bring about um, the conditions of heaven on earth. Right. That's what they're doing. And, and Jesus actually kind of gives them an idea of what that looks like. He says, go out, heal the sick, um, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, raise the dead. He, he gives them all these instructions. And historically, Christians have understood that as really our marching orders. They built hospitals. They, they pursued all these kinds of things because that was what we were supposed to do in the world. We were participating in transforming Earth to be like heaven. And so I think what... Um, both for many Christ American Christians and uh, in the kind of common perception of Christianity, it's very otherworldly. It's about leaving this world behind and going somewhere else. And I think that's a false idea of what Christianity actually is. So that's why I think people think they're, they're incompatible. They think mm -hmm. they're dealing with two different like future destinations. But in reality, I think the, the Orthodox mainstream historic Christian um, story has been this world will be transformed, this cosmos will be transformed, and it will be transformed in part through you. Yeah, and you've mentioned before in an article, I believe it was an article you'd written, that Christianity tends to go through 500-year cycles, and that yeah. you actually think that transhumanism represents one of the 500-year, you know, reformations of Christianity. Mm-hmm. How do you think that's going to take place? Like, can you speak more to what is actually going to be reformed or how you see yeah. this playing out? Yeah. So, um, so the, the thesis I was kind of working from here and a couple of people have, have um, offered different versions of this thesis, but it's, it's the idea that, yeah, basically on a roughly 500 year time frame, Christianity has to often because of technological change, go back and rethink how um, what's called authority works. Now, authority is not um, who's in charge. It's how we think about um, what we believe or what we think is true about the world, right? So um, scientific you know, knowledge, this kind of idea, right? Let's, how do we know what's true? And Christianity has to rethink that essentially every 500 years because the technology changes so much that... Um, that new social structures are needed, new ways of thinking about things are needed. And so what happened roughly 500 years ago with the printing press is all of a sudden it disrupted everyone's way of understanding the world. And so you see modern science come out of the, the, uh, the aftermath of that. You see Protestantism, Protestant Christianity come out of that. And what these are both wrestling with is how do we make sense of a world where we are all sort of the um, agents deciding what's true, right? And so science offers one way. We collaborate on this methodology that helps us like, converge on the truth, you know. Um, Protestantism is actually in some ways uh, very similar to that. 
Um, so now we're kind of in, we're in a, a second printing press with the internet, right? And so we all, because of social media, because of the vast amount of information we have, because of the dissolving of traditional institutions, we don't know exactly who to trust. And we have the ability to delve as deeply into filter bubbles as we want. We can become flat earthers because once you get in there, there's no way out. Um, you know, you can find yourself in a world of like a self-contained system of thought that you can't really see the way out of. So how do we deal with this? How do we address this now? And I think um, that it's essentially the other shoe of science. Like when the when modern science was um, proposed, it was proposed as two different kind of orientations, one of which is methodological humility. Um, so we have to keep disciplining our, our observations and our theories. We have to keep subjecting them to criticism. The other was methodological um, compassion, methodological benevolence, that we're actually having to build something with this. It's not just idle knowledge. It needs to be aiming at something. And I think we're at that place where we need that particularly to decide between what are we going to research? What kinds of things are we going to pursue? I think we need to start with that idea. We are trying to build a better future specifically. That's our kind of starting point for everything we think about, everything we pursue, everything we research, and all the structures of, um, of thought and doctrine and you know all those kinds of things that we might build it has to be oriented towards how is this going to build a better future and that has a lot in common with um philosophical traditions like pragmatism it also um has some connections with critical rationalism Karl popper but it all goes back ultimately to baconian francis bacon empiricism mm. it's really what that was ultimately intended to be um that we have that kind of orientation of the future and so like i said I think that's a very natural orientation for Christianity to say, how does this actually measure up according to the future we're going, not according to just the, the just the traditions, but actually what the future actually holds. I don't know if that um, makes sense, but that's kind of how I see it playing out. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about building towards the future, it makes me think of, uh, I think his name's Nikolai Fedorov, uh, but he, yeah. he said in a quote, um, I think it was resurrection is a task not of miracle but of knowledge and common labor, mm -hmm. and I and I think Chardin built on this work. Uh, you're familiar with Chardin yeah. and the Omega Point, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you, absolutely. Do you support that idea then that that's the future like that you're building towards? Like in your mind, are we building towards that point where humanity uses tools to basically take us to unification? Maybe even I mean, do you consider unification with a godhead? With with you know, is that are we reaching that high? Yeah. So. Um... What I think uh, has been said in, in Christianity since the very beginning is what is our ultimate destiny is to become the image and likeness of God. Right. So this is the first page of the, the page of the Bible, Genesis one. God says, I'm going to create humanity to be my image and likeness and um, and thus to, you know, rule over creation. And, and we should probably talk about that because that strikes us. Um, in a kind of weird way in our modern era. But what this means is, I mean, this has always been understood as a scientific and technological project. Humanity had a project to help nature cultivate the natural order um, and to participate in the creative work of God in that way as um, co-creators with God, as imitators of God, as the image and likeness of God. And Christ is the one who helps us in the Christian narrative, helps us actually bring that about actually come mm -hmm. to 
um, that where we kind of screwed up the project, Christ brings us back to the project and actually allows us to bring that to completion. So that's the ultimate future. It's a future that looks like Christ, like God. Um, and Paul in the uh, New Testament epistles, he looks at this, he, he explicitly says this, he, he says, you know, Christ is going to fill the entire universe. And we are um, the outworking of that. We are building up into that vision of Christ uh, filling the universe. And so we can talk, I mean, there's all, all kinds of things to say about that, but um, that is the future uh, of the cosmos as the New Testament scriptures envision it, is this transformation to uh, biological, technological, ecological, um, human civilization that's kind of bursting with life and spreading out uh, in un unending ways, um, mm -hmm. bringing life to the universe. Um, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it sounds very science fiction, but it's it's very much there. And so, yeah, that looks a lot like um, some of the visions that Teilhard de Chardin comes up with, that that Fedorov comes up with. Um, they're they're mining the, the Christian tradition for these images, you know, um, and they might strike us weird in the because we just haven't heard them for a while. And this is part of what the, the 500 year project is, is to bring back stuff that you forgot about and to bring mm -hmm. it back into the forefront and say, is this something we need to emphasize uh, as we go forward? When I, I don't know how exactly you said it, but I think you said Christ will expand to, to, to fill mm -hmm. the universe. Basically what, when you say Christ in that, in that situation, mm -hmm. you know, maybe for our more secular listeners and, you know, people like me, yeah. what exactly do you mean when you say Christ? What is it that is, what is it that is, I guess, filling the universe? <laughs> so um, ultimately, um, an, an ecosystem, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, it's the created order uh, participating with God. Um, and so that's the, the, the way that you'll, you'll find the early church talking about it in the first few hundred years of Christianity is essentially the universe was created to be um, Christ's body. And, and so it's the, the cosmos actually transformed into the likeness of God, which is love and intelligence and, um, and power and glory and knowledge without it, basically. And so, of course, Christians locate that as uh, starting with Jesus of Nazareth. That's when the in, in incarnation starts, uh, mm. the, the true image and likeness of God. And then it spreads out through his followers uh, organically. This language is very clear in the New Testament. And becoming, um, you know, Paul used the, the language of the body of Christ in this community, which ultimately expands and expands and expands and includes um, all of the material cosmos. I don't know if that's an answer to your question or not. Yeah, I think well, it leads to another good one, which I think you said that the universe is the body of Christ there. And you also briefly mentioned before that uh, an interesting talking point that you were thinking about, which is uh, we see we have dominion over creation in mm -hmm. a way. I think you phrased it. Um, yeah. It takes us in a slightly different direction, but yeah. it does seem that technology has historically been very uh, antagonistic to nature and its creations. If, if the yeah. universe is God, technology, especially like the Industrial Revolution, has kind of ravaged God's body in a sense. Like, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, are, do you see this, yeah. this, this way where maybe technology has not been great? Yeah, to the yeah so, absolutely. Um, so... 
So yeah, let me t talk a minute about what the scriptural image is and then talk about maybe how we think of that historically and so mm -hmm. forth. So the, the, this reading of Genesis has really kind of come under fire because we, you know, want to think um, of the ecosystem and we want to think of the environment. And it sounds like what Genesis is saying is like, go out and destroy and pillage, you know, everything. Right. Um, and in fact, that's not what's happening there. Um, so the, the Genesis one actually details in a kind of allegorical way this creation process that god goes through in in creating the world and that what that creation process looks like is in contrast to a lot of ancient stories that would have been circulated at the time where the universe is built from violence or something like this mm -hmm. god instead is this purely loving and cultivating creator and so god um calls forth says let the land bring forth vegetation and then he sees what the land does and then um, says that's good and names it and categorizes it and blesses it and so there's there's no hint of violence at all in the the genesis um one picture in the creation uh, story it's a cultivating creator who empowers creation actually to flourish helps it um reach heights that it could not have reached otherwise and so when it says now i'm going to create humanity in my image and likeness it's saying specifically that's the kind of creators we're going to be Huh. That's the way we rule the cosmos, not by, you know, smashing it <laughs> with, you know, uh, whatever, but but actually by helping uplift it, helping it thrive in ways it could not have otherwise. And so we can think about this very practically. We're the only species that can help avoid killer asteroids, right? If there's an asteroid coming for the planet right now, we're the ones who are going to be able to do something about it. So we serve a very particular role in the ecosystem that no other creature can can serve and we can help uplift the ecosystem um you know on this planet and beyond um and we can help it thrive like never before now historically as you pointed out with the industrial revolution we've also done a lot of damage and when you have power uh you have the ability to do damage right that's that's kind of how it works so it, it's a double-edged sword it can go both ways um so I, I think absolutely we can look at some of the things that people have done and say, okay, that's not great. That's not actually what we want to do. And that's not um, following the spirit of what that kind of ruling and dominion um, that Genesis talks about actually means or looks like. Yeah. And, and building on the ideas that Federo and Chardin put forth that we briefly touched on before how do you reconcile this notion of the Omega point and building towards, uh, you know, unity and unification with something like the tower of Babel, which kind of says, you know, mm. don't try to reach for the heavens with your tools and technology. Cause I'll, you know, I'll smash your tower for your arrogance mm. kind of thing. You know, that's at least how I perceive it as an, <laughs> sure, from the outside yeah. looking in, but how, how do you reconcile that without thinking that maybe transhumanism could mimic the Babel tower? Yeah. Of Babel? Yeah. 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 So, okay, so there's um, a lot of context here. So the, the Tower of Babel story um, is, is kind of bookended um, with the story of Noah and the Ark. And so the Noah and the Ark story is told in, you know, church preschools all over the place. Like it's the first, one of the first stories we hear. And it's the story of God calling humanity to construct a giant technological project to save all life on earth right mm -hmm. so there's going to be this catastrophic event it's an existential 
uh, calamity. And God says to Noah, I want you to, you know, construct the, the largest thing basically you can imagine and use it to save all life. And so Noah does this. And that's the Bible's first story of redemption. That's the pattern for redemption as it plays out in the, the rest of the biblical story. And, um, and God sees this. And when Noah emerges from the ark, God actually reiterates the Genesis one thing. He essentially says, that's humanity as I intended. That's what I was looking for right there. You blessing creation, helping to save creation by using your technological abilities. And then what that's when we get to the next thing, which is the Tower of Babel story. Now, what what's important to kind of frame that um, we think of the Tower of Babel as kind of like a version of Icarus or something like this, mm. right? Like you flew too close to the sun or, or something. But it's actually the opposite um, in a sense, because what God tells Noah and his his children leaving the ark is that, OK, go into all the world repopulate the entire world like this is your job as humanity is to populate and help uplift all creation that's what you're supposed to do essentially don't stay in one spot and then the first thing that happens with the tower of babel is someone says hey instead of being scattered across the face of the earth like god says what if we tried a way to get everybody to stay in one place under one kind of authoritative structure we're going to build a tower and then we'll be the kind of most famous people and no one will ever want to leave. Essentially, we want to build a walled society here that no one leaves. Mm -hmm. And it actually is explicit. It's not that they're building a tower. They're building a city with a tower in it. And gotcha. that's a walled city. They can't leave. And so God sees that and says, you're doing exactly the opposite of what I just told you to do. Uh, you are stalling progress right here because progress in the biblical story is driven by that decentralization um all through the the biblical narrative especially in genesis and so he actually doesn't smash the tower he doesn't do anything like that what he introduces is a diversity of languages and so he kind of introduces a diversity of languages which then makes an authoritarian hierarchy hard to maintain and they split up and they go back to spreading across the world as god intended that's the story and so the the kind of takeaway is um that God wants humanity to keep spreading out, keep um, exploring, keep diversifying, keep uplifting um, nature. God is going to introduce diversity to as an answer to tyranny. Um, and, and it's not the last time the story is actually re kind of brought back uh, into play um, when, in Acts 2 when the, the Christian church is just getting started. And what they all the new christians are empowered to they've got people from all over the the world with different languages all the new christians are empowered to to speak in all these different languages so the the theme the 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 kind of takeaway of the story is like yes uh concentrated power is dangerous but when it is coupled with um the spirit of god the compassion of god the love of god these kinds of things we're actually enabled to do that in ways that are not destructive but in ways that actually bless us all um so there obviously <laughs> there's a lot, lot to yeah. dig up with these stories but i think that's there are dangers there are mm -hmm. dangers particularly from authoritarian um you know power hungry kind of uh ways we could go with technology but um but what we want to steer towards is decentralization, um, relational values, these kinds of things. That's the kind of flourishing future and world I think we uh, want to build. Yeah. Sounds like God would be all for decentralization. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> with you mentioned there the uh noah's ark as uh the form a form of redemption um do you think that transhumanism is is the building of a new ark like do you think that transhumanism is a form of redemption then i i think it's um like all things uh that christians are called to do it's a participation in the redemption of christ so mm. Uh, the the redemption um, started in maybe 33 AD, something like this. This would be how, how we would kind of narrate it and um, has kept going, kept unfolding. And so we choose um, uh, to participate in it. We are invited to participate in it. And, um, and we, that in some sense is what redemption, salvation, sanctification is, is that God extends us the ability to participate in his work, which is in essence, building the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Do, do you think that transhumanism and these ideas of kind of reaching, reaching God via labor and knowledge via tools uh, strips God of the metaphysical properties at all? Like, and, and would that be a bad thing, I guess, in your mind? Um. No, I don't think it strips God of, of any metaphysical properties. It, it challenges maybe some of the ways that we've talked about um, the relationship between God and the world in, in the last maybe four or 500 years in the West. Um, so Christian faith is incarnational, you know, and, and um, God, we, we say from the, the very beginning, you know, God is seeking to incarnate in humanity and his spirit to fill the the world, right? And that's um, that's what Trinitarian Christianity essentially says is that God is both transcendent above everything we can imagine, and also deeply involved in the world around us, right? Um, mm. So close as to be part of our own psyche and, and so forth. Um, and so um, and it, you know, working on progressively indwelling in us. This is the the um i mean that's just that's just how the the picture works so yeah. when we think of god as only being um abstract and and remote and um transcendent we actually met we're, we're actually thinking of a non-christian vision of god um the 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 christian vision of god is trinitarian it's it's one that is both um transcendent there is more life and more possibility more knowledge more um, everything than we yet know or can imagine. Um, and yet it's already here and already among us. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it, it definitely, it definitely challenges us, but I think the ultimate answer, and I think part of the reason why connecting to the, to these traditions is so helpful is because the, I think the best answers are the answers that were given 1700 years ago. Like the, they're already there. Um, mm. It's not, um, we definitely have to translate them. We have to dust them off. We have to figure out how this fits, but it's not that um, we have to throw out our old religion and, and put in another. It's actually, yeah. we need to connect to this religion more deeply because they've been thinking about precisely these sorts of things uh, for a very long time. Yeah. And as you think of, that translation or that updating of those original stories 
Um, when you think of your own personal soul, then do you think of it as something that's metaphysical or do you think of something maybe more like a transhumanist might where it's more like an informational pattern? Mm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot, we just don't know, right. There's, um, the, the fundamental thing is I experience myself as a conscious being mm -hmm. and I don't know at all what that is or what, <laughs> how that works. Right. I don't know what consciousness is. Um, and I don't know how it connects to, you know, qual like qualia and so forth. I don't know how that actually connects to information. I'm, I'm sure there is a deep relationship with the, uh, between those two things. And, you know, maybe it's that, um, consciousness and quality have something to do with, um, and, uh, you know, how information relates to itself or something like this, as Max Tegmark has suggested. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, it, it's, you know, there's just a, there's just dimensions of ourselves that, um, that we don't yet understand at the same time, there's nothing, um, there's nothing fundamentally, uh, beyond the reach of, of science here or beyond the reach of investigation, whatever the answer yeah. about how consciousness works, like there's an answer to it and it's going to be related to information and matter and energy and all those kinds of things. It's not going to be a totally separate reality, but Christ will and, be imbued in that either way. Yeah, and, and that, that's right. And, um, so the, yeah, the, one of the, the key, I think, things that Christians need to keep in mind is that um, sometimes we use the terms like some a term like supernatural to mean like, here's where you have to stop asking questions. You know, this is th this aspect of ourselves, the soul or something like that is, is beyond the realm of question asking. And my faith position, as I understand uh, scripture is there is nothing beyond the realm of questions. Like we will understand all of it. Um, and so it's, so ultimately it will be encompassed in what we think of as science and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, I don't know if that's helped kind of yeah. square some of those things. Well, let me, let me take it on a maybe slightly different tact. If you were, if you had the opportunity to upload your consciousness into something <laughs> like, a, uh, you yeah. know, into a virtual environment and you got rid of the, the human form does that connection with Christ carry over? Do you feel like that's something that you would accept as part of Christian transhumanism? Do you, does that just move the sacred vessel or the sacred body into another medium? You know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the, there's a couple different questions there. So one of them is, can, um, you know, can a Silicon being have a soul, something like this, or can, can AI have a soul? And, um, the answer I would say is absolutely yes. Um, because you know, the, the Christian story says like humans are created from dust and then, uh, the, we're, there was breathed into us the breath of God. Right. So, so our, our soul, our spirituality somehow, um, lives in carbon based life. We don't know how, right. That still remains to be understood, but, um, but if it can live in carbon-based life, it can live in silicon-based life and everything else, right? There, there's no fundamental reason why it has to be one form versus the other. So AI can definitely have a soul. Um, and um, the, the idea of transferring identity is trickier and involves many more unknowns. Mm. And one of the things that 
I think is easier to tackle is the idea of um, brain augmentation. So, you know, if we um, augment our brains in such a way that we are connected with with outside, um, you know, computers or whatever, and then as as brain cells die, we replace them functionally, basically by scanning how they work and replicating that. Um, we can, you know, we can do that and we can imagine that gradually trans, you know, um, continuing until we've replaced the entire uh, brain um, with this kind of digital, you know, alternative. I don't see any point in that process where I would cease to become me because I'm already extending beyond my physical form. If I use notebooks, computers, um, you know, paper and pen, um, if I use glasses, if I use writing, um, you know, things that the humans have been doing for all of our existence, we've already put some of our intelligence and our intellect and our mind out into the the physical the physical world around us. And as as I would understand it, that's in fact our job. That's what we do is we help the rest of nature sort of come to participate in the intelligence that we are um, imbued with. And so it becomes an extension of us and we are also helping to uplift it at the same time. So I, I, I think we can imagine ways where any of those scenarios can play out. Um, and so I think, yeah, there's not any fundamental reason why I couldn't end up at some point where I have more um, silicon-based uh, components in, in my body than, than carbon-based. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to take us on a maybe a, a bit more of a ridiculous question here just cuz I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Do you believe in the simulation hypothesis? And if so, <laughs> do you think it's possible that like God is a programmer and Jesus was just like an is an avatar in the program? <laughs> yeah, so I think that the simulation hypothesis is um a really uh, great way for us to think about um, both our universe and um, some of the transhumanist projects we might want to undertake, and also things like you know, like the theology that we've we've had for eons now. So part of it, part of the thing that you want to think about, if if uh, when you start considering, are we in somebody's simulation, is um, how this this has a kind of reflective process because presumably what we do to others is then going to be part of um, how we're evaluated and what's done to us, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there's going to be some kind of um, reflection there. And the the kinds of simulations we build in the future are in the simulation argument actually correlate with the kinds of simulations we expect to be in. Mm -hmm. So if we build um, more simulations where we uh, treat people well and help them flourish and so forth, it's more likely that we are in a simulation where that's happening to us, right? Conversely, if we treat, we build more simulations where we torture people and so forth, it's more likely we're going to be in a simulation that uh, where we're ultimately going to end up being tortured. And so that that's how the simulation argument specifically, uh, Bostrom simulation mm -hmm. argument is constructed. And it does, I think, bring up these things. If we anticipate building worlds where we expect to give creatures genuine agency, 
and then perhaps enter into those worlds, not just as kind of tourists, but actually people who want to help cultivate that. Then we should, we have an increased expectation that that's the sort of simulated reality we live in. One where our creator wants to help us flourish and grow to greater and greater levels of knowledge and, and power and, and glory and so forth. And also one where that creator has entered into it and wants to do the same thing for us. So I don't know an answer, but from a, a kind of pragmatic perspective, um, I think the, the way that we want to act as, is as if this were true, yeah. as if we live in a simulation that's built by a benevolent creator who wants to equip us to grow into all of his knowledge and glory and power and who wants to enter into and participate with us in that process. And so we in turn should actually treat our simulations um, in a similar way. Yeah, I like that. Well, what would you say then to somebody who is flirting with transhumanism maybe or is actively against it but comes from a Christian background? how would you kind of invite them into the fold or maybe, you know, explain to them why this is an okay direction to take their, their faith? Yeah. So, I mean, fundamentally transhumanism in its simplest kind of most concrete form, I think is simply the, the desire to, um, to use science and technology to transform the human condition um, according to some kind of value system, right? Whatever we, we think. So Christian transhumanism is simply the desire to use science and technology to transform the human condition as consistent with and as embodied in in Christ. And um, so this is um, fundamentally something that um, that really all Christians should be behind. Um, mm. And the the idea that science and technology are part of the work of God is not foreign to the biblical story. It goes all the way back to Genesis one, Genesis two, um, the Noah's Ark story. It's it's all throughout. Um, and um, so, if you know, if we do um, follow a faith where we are called to participate in the work of God in the world, then and science and technology are part of that, then we really should be Christian transhumanists. And now there are all kinds of questions that then come up um, at that point, but that that starting point I think is is enough. It's, it's really, if you buy that, you should be a Christian transhumanist, even if you want to come in here and, and question, you know, 50% or 80% or 90% of the things I've said, even if a lot of it sounds weird to you, um, that should be a starting point that I think almost every Christian, when they think about it, when they contemplate it, can actually agree on. Yeah, absolutely. And and as we start to wrap up here, I'm curious, like, is there a specific technology or usage of technology that you are particularly excited about, whether because of the fact that it might embody Christian values or just because you as just a person who likes technology are excited about it? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things, I guess. Um, so one that I think, and it's not that I, that there are current developments that I'm particularly, um, uh, following, but just in general, I'm very, um, positive on the ability for us to edit the genome and mm. not just our genome, but actually, um, 
other species, other creatures, actually to construct new creatures with us. I think from a Christian perspective, this is the programming language of life. Mm-hmm. God uh, gave, gave it to us to to uh, take care of and to work with. And um, I think um, to me, that's one of the actual ways that fits the closest with the vision of the biblical story is helping life to actually flourish in new ways and in new forms. And I think if we um, harness that, if we understood how to make a single cell thrive, in a, but beyond its current kind of status, then not only would we have solved um, almost everything about disease and and illness and you know and all these kinds of things, we would have actually unlocked um, almost unlimited. Um, wealth and thriving for the entire ecosystem for all of humanity. So I think there's a lot there um, that we should just like pursue with that kind of um, with that kind of vision in mind. How does life thrive at a super kind of exponential level, right? Um, because I think you know I think that's a that's a Christian calling that's that's right there at the beginning. Um, other things a little more. Um, a little more near at hand. Um, I've been really following for the past couple of years, the tools for thought community. Mm-hmm. And um, these are things like Rome research and, um, and so forth, which are trying to pursue new ways for people to kind of maintain personal knowledge bases. And I think something like that is actually like, a, when you do that, and when you practice, trying to maintain a kind of external memory like that, it actually involves and demands all kinds of disciplines that ultimately Mm -hmm. converge on spiritual disciplines, um, I would say. And so I think ultimately that the tools for thought is going to converge on what spiritual disciplines actually are. Um, You have to change how you think about things. You have to change how you relate to memories, all all kinds of stuff. If you have a practice of of capturing um, information in this way, uh, it, it's it's like journalism, you know, journaling on steroids or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, but this is also kind of a precursor for brain computer interfaces. And I think if we have brain computer interfaces, the first thing that we're going to do is we're just going to not be able to know what to do with them, right? Um, you know, okay, so you've got uh, you've got the, the you know a web browser plugged into your brain now. So what what's different? You know, what's better about that? you know, maybe nothing. Um, so it's, it's, it's an incredible power that it's going to take a lot of discipline of, um, of rethinking how we think actually to be able to use well. And so I think this tools for thought, um, kind of domain that's developing now is an important step to helping us think about how to integrate cross brain computer interfaces with other technologies, how we're going to need to shape our, our own minds. And I think that brings us back to, you know, millennia old disciplines about how we uh, train our minds, train our bodies to coordinate, to um, be better uh, blessings in the world, essentially. I love it. Be better blessings in the world and help live thrive at an exponential level. That's mm-hmm. that's a good ending note there. Man, Micah, I want to thank you for giving me a, an insight into this perspective. Um, before we go, I want to, of course, give you a chance to to tell us about anything you'd like to let our listeners know about maybe some of the work that you're doing, how people can get involved, how to find more of it, anything at all. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, the place to start, the Christian Transhumanist Association, our website is christiantranshumanism.org. We have a pretty active community on Facebook. You can look us up there. And, um, and we're working towards developing um, some uh, some courses and material uh, that address a lot of different aspects of this. Um, we, we kind of see our uh, our project as having a, a theological um, angle. We, we kind of need to explain the theology of, of how, where does technology fit into the, the, the Christian theology. Um, a, a technological or a, um, a, a faith angle, like why would we actually choose to be, uh, to have faith or to be religious people or to be Christians in kind of the technological world that we find ourselves in. And then um, actually an ethical angle, like what is the kind of ethic that we're trying to advocate for as we pursue these, you know, exponentially developing technologies. So we're working on that um, currently, and this is a great opportunity for people to jump in if you have particular expertise, um, something like that, and contribute to this. Um, because I think, yeah, I mean, uh, this is um, really important work. I think there are billions of Christians in the world and billions of, of religious people, and um, the transhumanists, conversation and efforts are some of the most important ones. Those two things need to be brought together. Um, and so I, I think, you know, if you can help bring those together, you should be part of that, that, that conversation and that work. And so I would invite everyone to, to join us and um, try to help move that forward. Lovely, man. Well, I appreciate your courage standing between uh, two, two major <laughs> forces and uh, for having this conversation with me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Man.